This show is supported by State Farm. You have insurance for your home, your health, and your car. Why don't you have insurance for your small business? So many small business owners think they don't need or don't even know about small business insurance. Protecting a source of revenue is one thing, but so is protecting all of your hard work and your team members. State Farm agents are all small business owners too, so they know how to help small business owners choose personalized policies that fit their budgets. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Hi, folks. Be sure to visit my webpage at dr-history.com for over 440 true stories of the Old West. Also, now available on Amazon, my first book, a historical fiction based on true events entitled Coal Miner to Cowboy. The story of a young man born in England in 1850, he wants to be a cowboy and makes his way to America, travels from New Orleans to Independence on a steamboat, hires on as a teamster to Santa Fe, then on a cattle drive to Bozeman, Montana. He also rides shotgun on a stagecoach. He travels with a wagon train, and on his two-year journey, he meets some famous people and keeps a journal of his adventures. The book contains a lot of the true stories from my podcast and is now available on Amazon. Visit my webpage for a link to Amazon for the book, Coal Miner to Cowboy. The world-famous Dr. History. Good morning, Zeb. How are you? I'm doing good. Kind of a cloudy, little bit rainy day out there, but it, it's not just, bad. It just gives you a feeling of, oh, yuck. It's like eating oatmeal without any sweetener. That's right, yeah. <laughs> okay. So uh, today we're going to talk about a kind of something we've never really talked about before. Okay, what and is you, it? I'm not going to tell you. Well, then that's it, folks. <laughs> okay, Thanks, we'll Burley see. Veterinary Hospital, for sponsoring this We'll segment. see you next week. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Oh, you'll figure it out. Oh, okay. All right. So picture this. All right. Okay. It's dusk. June 1st, 1859. That's um, your birthday. That's I my birthday. That. Almost 400 miles out from the Missouri River along the Denver Trail, the Leavenworth and Pikes Peak Express stage started to negotiate a steep and tricky descent into a dry creek bed. At the moment... Three Indians galloped up on the opposite slope, and the four stagecoach mules were so startled by the sudden appearance of the intruders that they bolted as the stage slid off the road and skidded sideways down the draw. One of the two passengers jumped clear and stood aside to watch what happened. Okay, this man was Albert Dean Richardson. Mm -hmm. Have you ever heard of him? I no, not a clue. I have not. not a clue. Anyway, he was a correspondent for the Boston Journal. What's he doing on a stagecoach way out there? You'll see. <laughs> Here we go again. Here we go again. And here's what he said about this event. 
He said, quote, our mules broke a line, ran down a precipitous bank, upsetting the coach, which was hurled upon the ground with a tremendous crash. So he continues, he says, from a mass of cushions, carpet sacks and blankets soon emerged my companion, his head rising above the side of the vehicle like that of an advertising boy from his frame of pasteboard. Blood was flowing profusely from cuts in his cheek, arm and leg, but his face was serene and benign. And it's your book, man. (laughs) And and okay, <laughs> as a May morning. <laughs> you really messed that up. I, I got to hand it to you. That was a terrible, terrible mess. Uh, okay, so you got okay. the picture. I do. The guy's got hurt. He got hurt. Okay. Okay, now here's a second view of the same thing. Okay. Quote, the blood was dripping from a most unusual head, pale, round as a bowling ball, and fringed across the pate, down the sides and under the chin with a fluff of whitish hair, through wire-rimmed glasses, light blue eyes peered down a long pointed nose with a look of wistful inquiry. This now, wait a minute. Is, this is the guy that got hurt. Why did they dress up their language like that? Yeah, they just did. You know, I've always liked that, though. The yeah, but he, you that. took exactly 18 seconds to tell me the guy got a knock on the head. <laughs> he got hurt. <laughs> so, limping and sore for a few weeks, the passenger was still functioning. The injured man was Horace Greeley. Oh, now, you've heard of Horace Greeley. Go West, young yeah. man. Editor of the New York Tribune and far away the most influential journalist of his era. Yeah. So I'm going to talk about, see, Zeb, the name of the book, The Chronicles. Yeah. The, the, the people that wrote about the Old West. Horace Greeley. Yeah. So Greeley and Richardson uh, were fellow passengers by just by chance, but they were bent upon the same general uh, idea. Each was there to kind of inspect the West at first hand and to report what he found to Eastern readers. The East had been in need of people like these ever since Lewis and Clark uh, had come out there in 1804, 1806, and how they'd opened up the Pacific. And since then, through a number of travelers, some had sent letters back East, you know, describing what they saw. But the East was really hungry for really for uh, people like this that were could chronicle the West and really tell what it was like. So nah, so by now it's 1859. The country was about to split in the North and South. America had begun to see its real destiny in a westward move, you know, manifest destiny. The people needed practical information to guide them. You know, there's supposedly guides that sent stuff back that had never been there and given guides to wagon trains, and they'd never actually been there. Really? Yeah. Uh, so, one thing though, you didn't tell me what happened to the drivers of the stagecoach. Oh, uh, we don't know. We don't. We don't care about him. <laughs> Just Greeley and Richardson. That's who we're worried about. Yeah, poor guy working for minimum wage. Yeah, he goes over he a is. cliff, and you don't care about him. Well, they did get the wagon back up and going. Oh, okay. So, anyway, so America began to see. You know, the importance of this movement, and uh, they wanted to know back east which land was fertile, where did timber grow, where would be gold, coal, and other minerals, you know, and uh, where was water, where was the desert, and question, could a railroad one day cross all that distance, And but the east, they had an appetite for information, and it would come from people like Greeley and Richardson, yeah. the, the newspaper people. Okay. So these were the West chroniclers. 
writers, journalists, historians, artists, illustrators, photographers. Well, you know, Russell and Remington, you know, they're pictures uh, of the the West. I've got some here in my office. I mean, they they put put forth a lot of what it really was like. Yeah. So this show is supported by State Farm. Insurance is a part of any solid financial plan. Making sure you have the important things in life covered is one of the best ways to give yourself a little breathing room when things go awry. It's important to protect not only your business, but yourself as a business owner and all current and future team members. State Farm agents know what it takes to run and protect a small business because State Farm agents are all small business owners and they live and work in your community. So they're deeply attuned to what's happening with other small businesses in your market. If you have a small business and are interested in making sure you're protected, reach out to your local State Farm agent to learn more about what you need. They'll help you find the right policy at the right price for your business. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Chroniclers, they put forth what it was really like in the West. And they set down how life uh, and the land was beyond the Missouri, for better or for worse. Instead of chroniclers, why don't you just say writers? Because that chroniclers will get you in trouble. The writers back east, <laughs> back west, it, the writers... <laughs> Each of you have which, trouble with writers, and chroniclers <laughs> it, came out smooth as smooth. could be. <laughs> well, I've been practicing. So each of the men and women saw the West uh, in their own special vision. Some were uh, writers of hard fact to describe the region just as it really was, and they contributed substantially to its growth and population. Others were storytellers. Oh, they kind of had a little fantasy. They kind of sang the praises of the West. Yeah. Kind of spinning tales. Uh, Yarns. For example, Mark Twain. Oh, boy. Uh, but the one belief held in common was that the West was the biggest, most overwhelming thing any of them had ever seen. Yeah. It was It was new for all of these it people. It must have been. And, and, you know, we take it for granted. But when they got out west of the Mississippi, it must have been, holy cow. Yeah. I mean, desert, uh, you yeah. know, the, the plains, you know. But of all the writers of the Old West, the journalists enjoyed the greatest professional advantage because they had a, a platform already. They had newspapers back east that were put out uh, exactly what they were seeing. So it's really more of a, I would say, more accurate description of the West. Okay. So this guy, Albert Dean Richardson and Horace Greeley, were two particularly uh, illustrious gentlemen of the press. Richardson was born in Massachusetts and at the age of 26 was already a pretty good writer uh, in, in his own state. So, But he was living in Kansas. He'd made a down payment on a farm, but he didn't really like it. And so in the spring of 1859, he joined the great stampede for the mountains, heading out to Kansas and to the Rockies. Just he wanted to get out there and see what it was like. Yeah. So somewhat the same combination of background was Richardson's traveling companion, Horace Greeley. But they didn't know they were companions. Not re- well until they got on the stagecoach together. I see. Yeah. So that's when they kind of met and, de- and realized, hey, we're out here for the same reason. But Greeley was born on a farm in New Hampshire, and but he was quite a bit older. He was 48 years old. And he was actually acknowledged as kind of what they would call the dean of American journalism as the admired and feared editor of the New York Tribune. Did they get paid, do you know, uh, to be investigative reporters going out into the West? You know, I don't know how that worked unless they only got paid by what they sent in. 
uh, I don't know if they had like a monthly income of some kind. Well, the reason I, I, I asked is if if they were going to send a story in, sending it in would take two or three months. Well, you maybe know, I can't remember if the Telegraph was working about that time. What year was it? Eighteen fifty nine, right about then, mm. almost eighteen sixty. We. I, uh, you know, it was about the time of the Civil War. Yeah, so. okay. But anyway, Greeley had been planning his trip west for a decade, uh, during which time he, of course, what you mentioned, he had the famous saying, go west, young man, go west. And uh, he saw his specific mission as acting as an advance scout for a railroad that would join the Atlantic to the Pacific. So he was kind of checking things out to see if there could be a, a transcontinental railroad. Really? Yeah. And they didn't really know what kind of obstacles there no. were. And and if you think about it, he was actually farther south than where the railroad actually went. I see. But uh, anyway, here's what Greeley said. He said, the construction of a great international railway from Missouri to the Pacific seemed to me to be inevitable. I resolved to make a journey of observation across the continent with reference to the natural obstacles and facilities afforded for its construction and of course he reserved the general right to inform his readers about anything and everything else that struck him as important to their well-being so he really was looking out for not just the railroad but for people thinking of heading west yeah of which of course thousands and thousands did so he left new york in 1859 uh in four months of really excruciating, uncomfortable travel, as we described. He wrote, uh, talked, and jolted his way across the Great Plains to Denver, to the Rockies, to Laramie, to South Pass, Salt Lake City, Carson Valley, Sierra Nevada, to California, where he ended up in San Francisco. So, actually, I made a mistake. He did see parts where the Transcontinental Railroad did go. They didn't have families, did they? Um, I don't know. It doesn't say that in here. Because, I mean, you just kiss your wife goodbye and, and you're gone. For, you're gone. And maybe gone forever. Yeah. You know. But it was on this Leavenworth stage that uh, he met the young newsman who would accompany him to the Rocky Mountains. And here's what he said. Thus far, uh, Albert Dean Richardson on May 27th. I had been the solitary passenger, but at Manhattan, Horace Greeley joined me for the rest of the journey. Hmm. So Manhattan, Kansas, right? Yeah, I was not sure about that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So anyway, after the stage wreck that they were in, the passengers, they got out and they tipped the stage up and uh, got it repaired. And they headed out towards Pikes Peak on June 5th, uh, just a day out of Denver. And it was the ideal time for the arrival of these guys because Greeley and Richardson, uh, they wanted to check out the gold fields and see if really it was what – was kind of uh, getting back east. You know, was it really what, what they were saying? Now, they didn't take a stage there, did they? No, we'll, we'll get to how they okay. actually got to there. But, but these newsmen pulled into town. They found a, another colleague in possession of a brand new gold strike story, uh, and they needed to confirm it, see if it really was true. So Greeley and Richardson would, uh, supply the weight of journal, the journalism word to make itself, if it really was, True. Yeah. So to speak. Factual. Yeah. So Horace Greeley and Richardson, they rented a sleeping space in a log walled tent roofed Denver house. 
So that must have been comfortable. Log walled tent, <laughs> tent roof. roof. I dare you to try that one fast five times. <laughs> so Greeley, a man of pretty strong fortitude and a strong sense of responsibility toward his reading public, insisted on starting for the gold diggings to confirm or deny the the gold strikes. He was going to make sure whether it was or wasn't. Okay. So the trip, uh, 25 miles as a crow might fly, was about twice that on a mule, mostly up and down ridges. Greeley's, Greeley's mule at one time came down to his knees, nearly throwing him over his, the head of the mule. So it oh, wasn't wow. an easy travel. So he almost turned into a lawn dart. Yeah, after about 50 miles on okay. a mule. Yeah. Oh, come on. Uh, up and down. Yeah. I don't know about that. That sounds a little rough. So anyway, the day's ride ended a few miles from the diggings with uh, Greeley so sore and warned that he said, quote, I had to be tenderly lifted from my saddle and laid on a blanket. Did they hire guides to uh, take them? I think the only guide they had was this other uh, rider that had claimed that he's uh, about the, the gold. And they packed their own food and everything. Yeah. Wow. So, anyway, they spent two days uh, circulating among the, get this, 5,000 prospectors in this area. Oh, my this gold strike. goodness sakes. And there were actually, there were uh, five women and uh, seven Indians. Uh, they started inspecting their labors and examining the results. And Richardson noted that, quote, in our presence, one miner washed $2.50 from a pan full of dirt and told us another pan had just yielded him $17.87. Now, that's pretty darn good. Really? Yeah. I okay. mean, one pan full, you know. And Greeley at one point. Of course, point, $17 then was $17. Oh, yeah. I mean, even $2.50. I mean, Amen. you'd be lucky to make that in a day yeah. with just manual labor. Yep. So Greeley at one point was shown a lump of solid gold estimated to be worth $510. What would that be today? At least 10 times. At least, oh, at least. At least 10 yeah. times. So anyway, uh, they as they went about looking at these claims, uh, they found that this was a valley that really had opened up, and uh, it really was what they had said. I mean, there was uh, people using the... Uh, the just the pan some of them used the uh the sluice you know the yeah. the wooden thing where you yeah. run water through it and you just uh shovel the gravel into the sluice and see what washed out but uh they talk about some of the examples of the profits that were obtained uh one guy let's see a john gregory from georgia worked five days with two helpers and got 972 dollars no, that's pretty good back then. For five days' work? Yeah. He sold his, he had two claims and he sold them for $21,000. You're kidding. And he just went out there and had a claim. For and, five days? Yeah. And sold it for 21000 21000 which I don't know what the exchange on the currency from then to now would be, but. Uh, Again, at least 10 ooh, times. Yeah. I mean, he could live on that the rest of his life. But uh, they had another uh, claim that was yielding. $200 a day. Wow. So another guy, uh, a guy named Jones from Kansas, washed $225 a day. Uh, another guy, uh, four men, 
uh, sluiced $3,000 worth in three weeks, uh, making from $21 to $495 a day. Yeah, and that's when you could go into a saloon and buy a beer for a nickel. Yeah. I mean, these guys were, wow. I mean, they could retire with yeah. what they were doing. So basically, um, uh, testifying to the existence of the riches of this, the place was called Gregory Gulch out of Denver. Okay. And so, uh, the, the editor of the Rocky Mountain News was so happy to get this news that he actually put out a, an extra special newspaper, but he didn't have regular paper. So he used brown wrapping paper because he'd ran out of good newsprint. Oh boy. So anyway, the report was the saving of Denver. Basically, I mean, it electrified the nation and set the Rocky Mountain mining region on the road to a, its ultimate development. It really opened up the Denver area. So Greeley and his colleagues were not satisfied simply to attest to the presence of treasure, their duty, as they saw, was also to render a humane service by stressing the hardships of mining for individuals and the need for the vital element of luck. And here's what he said. This I found this quite interesting. We cannot conclude this statement without protesting most earnestly against a renewal of the infatuation which impelled thousands to rush to this region a month or two since. Gold mining is a business which in, which eminently requires capital, experience, energy, endurance. Great disappointment, great suffering are inevitable. We beg the press generally to unite with us in warning the whole people against another rush to these gold mines as ill-advised. There you go. Now, I just told you about all the money that was coming in. Yeah. But yet, after all they saw, they're saying... You really might think about coming out here. It's not as easy. Well, as they didn't want to share the wealth. <laughs> they and it was, but they he really saw how hard yeah. the work was. Well, and then we, why did Greeley go ahead and say go west, young man? Well, that was before he got there. Oh, <laughs> so you know Greeley's readers they were accustomed to the idea that what that Greeley uh, would not hesitate to, or to advise what was good for them, and now that it was far away in the west, they knew that he was using his eyes and his mind to perceive in their behalf what he was seeing, and he was not not always. Uh, believed in what he said hmm. and in the wake of his reports thousands descended upon the pikes peak area and thousands found nothing but the disappointment that he had warned them about and so Greeley had Greeley, colorado named after him yeah yeah, yeah. that's his uh, namesake but you know we've talked about the gold miners like up in the klondike yeah i mean the thousands and thousands that went up there and how very few really Made it, made oh, it yeah, big. Yeah. And same here. I mean, we're talking about some people that made a lot of money, but how many other several thousand, you know, got nothing or very little? Absolutely. So, Good story, and I didn't know that yeah, about uh, those two well, individual chroniclers. Horace, yeah, I'd heard of Horace Greeley, but I didn't really yep. know all of what he did. Yeah. But so he, he must have made a little money, or they wouldn't have named the city after him. He must have done something. Yeah. So he continued. I think this was just a small part of of his writings that he sent back east to the newspapers. I got to run. Hey, listen, that was a good story. Thank you, Zeb. Yes, you're always welcome. Always. I appreciate your knowledge. Thanks to State Farm for supporting this show and helping our listeners protect their businesses and lives. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today.